How are we doing? Great, great. I believe you had a birthday this week, Tanisha. 12, 13? Congratulations. <laughs> if you have your Bibles there, um, open up to Luke 15. And if you don't, you, then you can just listen along. And while you're doing that, we'll uh, pray, shall we? Father, we thank you, you're an awesome God, that you are totally magnificent. We thank you for your grace poured out on our lives, that while we were still in our sin and still without hope and lost, you loved us and you called us to yourself, that you healed us and made us whole. And we just pray that the power of the resurrection that has brought life into us, Lord, will touch us today. I pray, inspire us, make us like Jesus. Let the seed of your word bring life in Jesus' name. Amen. As I read through this week's reading through the Bible, as we head into week 13, been going for 13 weeks if you're reading through the Bible, if you haven't caught up, then go for it. Read fast. It's only five chapters a week. Start from Matthew. You can make it. And I was reading um, chapter 15, and it struck me how easy it is to get religious. And the thing about religion is it actually can cause you to be really complacent and comfortable. Because when you get into religion, because the word religion actually means to bind up. Right? It means to restrict. And that's why we say, look, we're not religious. We're in relationship. Because Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's not about a whole bunch of rules. Now, out of that relationship, we discover a way to live a better life. And God's given us some fantastic guidelines that are for our own good. You know, it's a bit like if I took my four-year-old and gave him the set of steak knives and say, go and play for an hour. He's probably going to hurt himself. So the guideline within our house is, no, you don't play with the steak knives until you're old enough. And that's how it is with God. It's like if you really want the steak knives, you can have them, but they're not going to be good for you. Right? Until you've matured enough to know how to use the steak knives. And if you go and throw them at the brother, how to throw them so they land beside him, not in the middle of him. But the other thing about religion is, is that when you've got a whole set of rules that say this is how you live, you don't have to try anymore. You can just go, well, this is the rules and I live within these rules and that's it. And I can remember um, Dale and I talking to a church who 
many years back asked us if we would consider coming and pastoring them. And we did a couple of, you know, went and had sort of a lunch with the elders and, and all that. And it was all good. And um, so then I threw in the question that always seems to be the curly question. Where do you stand on women in ministry? And they sort of looked at each other. They looked at us and they looked at each other. And one of the elders said, well, to be honest with you, the rest of the room is fantastic with it. He said, me, I'm working on it. It's a real struggle for me. I went, well, that's okay. That's an honest response. I don't know where you're at. But from that point on, once we sort of gave our position that, you know, we believe that it's not about sex when you minister in church. It's about who God has placed to do certain things. And that was fine with the eldership, but I wasn't fine with one of the elders' wives, who we discovered was really comfortable having this rule of women can't minister in church because it meant she didn't have to get out of her comfort zone, that she could go and work in the office and do nothing and wouldn't have to do anything. And from that point on, she started to undermine us and bring up all these really, really strange and difficult things that she knew would be controversial and weren't essential to the whole process. Because she had this religious view that says, this is what I can do, and therefore that's my excuse to not grow in God and to take on what he has for me. And that's what religion does. It binds up. But we're called to have relationship with God. Christianity is about a relationship with him. That he's our father, we are his children. That we walk with him and grow in him. It's not about a bunch of rules. And it's out of that love for God that we choose to do those things that are good for us. And occasionally we mess them up and occasionally we get them wrong. But it's important to walk in that relationship. But the thing about a relationship is, if you've ever been in one, you know, had a friend, maybe got married, maybe had children, maybe had parents. I'm sure at least someone fits into at least one of those categories, right? But the thing about any relationship is, it takes work to make it work. That if you don't put anything into the relationship, it's going to fall apart. But if you put effort into the relationship, then it grows. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But if you don't put anything in, you can guarantee it won't. But the thing about a relationship is there's another person involved or sometimes more than one person. And that sometimes gets tricky and, and makes it difficult and it causes you to, to have to move out of your comfort zone. You know, like... You might be a, I've never cooked before. And then you end up with another partner and suddenly they've never cooked before. And either you move out of your comfort zone and cook or you're both going to starve. And Taj and Jade, just so you know, your mum's looking at you. <laughs> she sent me an email this week. Can you please say this? No. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just things like that. You know, it may be that you've always just lived by yourself and this is how I live and then, and then you do something like getting married, you know, or even just get a flatmate and suddenly there's someone else in your space and you have to grow in your relationship and get out of your comfort zone and maybe clean your bathroom, you know. 
or bedroom. <laughs> and, and it stretches you and it grows you. And sometimes it causes conflict, but it makes you a better person. Because what you learn in those relationships, you take out into life and you become a better person. I mean, I'm, I'm training every week and there's, there's not a training session that goes by where I don't talk in some context about my family. Because there are things I learn having a wife and having kids that challenge and grow me that apply to life. There probably isn't a sermon I go by where I don't talk about my family. Because what you learn in relationship builds you in life. But as I thought about this, I thought, you know what? The longer someone's in church, the more religious they get. And it strikes me, it strikes me, great English there. It strikes me that maybe as a church, we're at that stage where a little bit of the religious is sleeping, is sleeping. Oh, gee. I should go to sleep. Is slipping in. And so whether you're a, a long-term South Central or this is your first time here, I want to challenge your religiosity. I want to ask you to honestly evaluate where do you sit. And by that, I mean, here's the situation. Jesus has just talked about being salt and light. He said salt's good, but it's no good when it loses its saltiness. In other words, it becomes religious. It becomes powerless. It just does and exists. It doesn't stretch itself. It doesn't grow. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't impact the world around it. And he goes on, and it says in verse 15, in chapter 15, verse 1, it says that all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. So here's Jesus, and the religious aren't attracted to him. It's the sinners. It's the guy that likes to go to the pub and drink himself silly that comes to see Jesus. It's the guy that, that's messed up in his relationships and may have been divorced who's something sitting next to Jesus. It's that girl from work that's sitting next to Jesus. It's the ones that everyone knows who they are. And they must have known who they are because they're labelled here. They're the ones that nobody wants to know. And they're all around Jesus. Now where are the good, pious leaders of the church? There in verse 2. The Pharisees and the scribes complain, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So where do you stand? Now we all want to say, well, if I was me, I'd be sitting next to Jesus. So you're a dirty, rotten sinner, are you? Are you that person from the office? Are you that person at the pub? Where are we? You see, because we have this amazing balance as Christians that we're told to be in the world but not a part of the world. And that's really, really hard. Because... How do you hang out with people doing the wrong thing without doing the wrong thing? How do you be in a fallen world without taking on fallen behaviour? You know, we, um, you know, at Bible college, we teach students. I've always done this. You know, you've got to be careful, not just what you do, but the perception of what you do. 
Yeah, and I always tell the story in Kalgoorlie of strolling into the church once and this is bashing on the door after being there about half an hour and I open the door and this lady falls through the door extremely scantily clad and she is off her face on drugs. I'm the only person there. It's like, okay, what do you do in this situation? So I made a couple of phone calls and long story short, this lady was a prostitute and was off her face on drugs and really didn't know where she was or what she was doing. So we called in um, one of the guys from our church who'd been working with Teen Challenge at drug areas. We called in the Salvation Army and because um, they had a bit more experience with these guys and so we brought in the, the, the pastors, the captain from there. And about this time, a couple of other pastors actually dropped in to drop some stuff off. So here we are, four pastors and an elder and a prostitute. And we thought, well, the first thing, we're going we're to really help this girl. So we actually linked up with Teen Challenge and, and, and sort of had a pre-thing for her to be able to go to. But we had to go and pick up her stuff. So we all piled in the beautifully labelled Salvation Army van and drove around to the brothel, which in Kalgoorlie, everybody knows where the brothel is. And so here's the site of four pastors carrying a prostitute out of the Salvation Army van into a brothel. And we're going, all we need now is a photographer. And the wrong story's out there. But it struck me at that moment when, when that girl literally fell through the door, I thought, what do I do here? Because this was not my world. I'm a good missionary son, you know. Grew up in the church. Never, well, I had actually because of the bank I used to speak to them, but never really spoken to a prostitute. Let alone had to carry a drug-induced one around. And the thought is, the th I had the thought sometime in there, how does this look? And you know what I thought after that? Who cares? And then I worked out who does care. It's religious people that care. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go and find yourself a prostitute every day to have a conversation with. Or go and find some drug induced person lying on the street and have a conversation with them. But what I'm saying is, where do you stand? Are you still aware that people out there don't know Jesus and that you are the light to them? Now, some people are called to go and, you know, work with prostitutes or work with drug addicts or, or whoever it is. But most of us, that's not our life. Most of us walk into our school or our uni or sometimes even our church and there are people around us who don't know Jesus. It may be rocking up to a party or, you know, just seeing a friend. And when you're around them, you are Jesus to them. You are sometimes the only Jesus they will see. Some of these people will never pick up a Bible and read it. Some of these people will never hear the words of Jesus. Some of these people have never been around a church in their life. But they still need to know Jesus. And I love it when, when someone gets saved for the first time and they get on fire for God and they tell their friends that they go to church. 
But what I find is amazing is that within about, within about two years, they no longer tell people they go to church. What happens in those two years? We get comfortable. We get religious. We start only mixing with people who are Christians. We, we get into little huddles and have deep conversations while people go to hell. And sometimes we even do that here at church. And let me just delve into a little bit of discipline right now because that's part of my job from the front. When we stand around the table after church and there's food, let's eat the food. It's great. But while you're standing there eating the food, have a look around. Who's standing by themselves? When we have a function and we go together somewhere and people come from outside the church, your priority in life is not the people that you know here in church. Your priority in life is the people that do not know Jesus. We should not be all standing in big circles while they are over there. Because you are the only Jesus they will see. And what does it say about Jesus? It says exactly what the Pharisees here said about Jesus. See, the Pharisees said, we are the religious leaders and we stand in our huddles and we stand in our groups and we exclude by law. We exclude by practice and we make it a spiritual thing. And it's all right because the guy that taught us, he excluded them. And sometimes we do that and we go, well, I'm here and I'm in my circle and, and those people there are more mature than me and they're here in the circle too, so it's okay. If someone needs to go, then they should go. You know, or I've only been a Christian for a little while and I'm not really good at sharing my faith, so I'll let someone else do it until I'm more mature and I'm more grown up and I'm more ready. I don't know the right words to say. So I'm not going to say anything until I know how to do it properly. And you know what happens when we do that as a church? We start to die. If you know Jesus, you have everything you need to share your faith. Because all you need is tell somebody about him. But let, let me give you a couple of really, really easy ways to share your faith. When you're having that conversation with somebody at work or school or uni or in your neighborhood... And they tell you the woes of their life. Things like, gee, I had a really bad night, didn't sleep much. You know? Rather than going, yeah, me too. Ask them why. Is there something wrong or, no, I just didn't have a good night's sleep. Yeah, here's your big chance. This is called relationship evangelism. You say something like, tell you what, I'll pray for you tonight that you have a better night's sleep. It's all you've got to say. And that'll either freak them out or they'll go, thank you. And then what you do is when you get home, you pray for them that they will have a good night's sleep. And then when you walk in the next day and you see them, you go, hey, did you sleep any better? And this is where you're on a no-fail 
Because if they say, no, just as bad as the night before, you go, well, they're going to keep praying for you until you get over this. And if they say, yeah, I had a bad night's sleep, you say, cool, I prayed you would. Is there anything else I can pray for? Anybody can do it. You know, if someone's going through a more difficult situation, having a crisis at home or with their family or whatever it is, then you can do the same thing. Just tell them you pray for them. And then you send them a text a couple of days later. Hey, praying that you're doing okay, praying for your family. And what you do is you bring them closer to an awareness of Jesus Christ. And you open up the possibility for a relationship. And then when the Easter festival's on, you invite them to the Easter festival. Or when your connect group's doing something, you invite them along to that. Or when the Christmas in July rolls around, or Christmas itself rolls around, you invite them along. Because they already know that you have a God awareness, that you have something they don't have, and then suddenly they get hungry and they get interested. People say to me, I want to grow. I want to, I want to read the Word. I want, to, I want to really be a mature Christian. A mature Christian who's not someone who knows the Bible back to front. It's somebody who does, who does, somebody who does what they already know. It's not what you know that makes you a Christian. It's what you do. You know, I mean, it, I pull my hair out at some Bible colleges where you rock up and, and 90% of the faculty don't go to church anymore. And you go, what's that about? And they're there teaching church history. And they're teaching church dynamics. And it's like, but you're not even being part of the church. It's not what you know, it's what you do. It's what you do with what you know that makes you a Christian. The devil knows about Jesus, but he's not saved. You're saved because you had a knowledge of Jesus and you acted on it. It works the same with sharing your faith. It's not how much of the Bible you know that you refute great arguments. When someone says something you don't know, you just say, you know what, I don't know. It's okay. You don't have to know everything. You just need to know the one who does know everything. And if you don't know, say, I don't know, why don't you come to church and find out? I have never, ever seen anybody get saved through having an argument. So don't get into them. But I've seen people get saved because somebody who knew them cared enough to say Jesus loves you and to share the love of God within them with that person. By dropping a text saying, how are you doing? Praying for you. By sending a small gift or a card. By just taking a couple of minutes to, to actually talk and to listen to what the person says. To break away from the comforts that they have and their comfortable group and stepping out of that and going, you know what? I'm here to show Jesus. Because every moment of every day, that's actually what you're about. And your friends around you may go, well, you know, you're really hanging out with them? Now, here's the balance. If you're hanging out with somebody and they're starting to lead you in the wrong path, you got, you're out of balance. There's something wrong. So the way to fix that is either take 10 people with you so you're accountable or you need to get out of that situation because you're not strong enough. So be wise. Be smart. 
And another small thing, guys with guys, girls with girls, you know. Flirtation evangelism is not a good idea. I want us to be a church that really, really impacts the world. I want us to be a people that makes a difference. We don't want to be just another church in this city. We want to be a people that change the world. That's why we have our vision statement. The first word is connect. It's about connecting with the God, connecting with each other. We've got that. We're cool. We need to work on our connect with the world. We can do it corporately, but we've got to work on our one-on-one. You know, have that one person. Pray for them. And then actually do something. Like share Jesus with them. Ask them how they're doing. Say a prayer for them. Send them a gift. Make a way. The second word in our vision statement is to grow. You really want to grow? The number one way to grow is to get out of your comfort zone. You take a plant and you put it in a pot, it will only grow as big as that pot will allow it. So get out of your pot. No pot. And get into the garden where you can really grow. Get out of your comfort binding up religiosity that says, oh, this is safe. And grow. Take a risk. Take a chance. And change somebody's life. You know what? Sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes people are not going to happy. be happy. Sometimes you're going to offend somebody. But that's what Jesus did. Not everybody liked Jesus. That's why next week we celebrate Easter. Because they killed him. Everyone goes, hmm, do I really want to do this? They're probably not going to kill you. They're not even going to whip you. But it's okay. Just share Jesus. Some you'll hit, some you won't. That's okay. The third one we have is to serve. And that takes us back to Matthew, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you serve others, you serve God. And we're told to serve others like we want to be served. If you did not know Jesus, would you want somebody to tell you about him? If that's what you would want, then that's what's expected of you. Not just once, but every single day. That's God's expectation of you. That what you would want for your life is what God expects you to do towards others. That's love. When I realized that, it freaked me out a little. But then I thought, what a great opportunity. And so I go around my workplace and I share Jesus. And I freak people out a little. But I work for a church organization, so it makes it easier. I can get away with it a little bit more. But you know what? When you actually listen to people, you know, I had this this lady in my work, and I think it was about January, and I get this text from her saying, pray for my daughter. It was just, like, you know, I've never had a text from this lady in the whole time I've been working there. I'm like, okay, so I text one back going, what for? 
And she texts back to survive. Found out a couple of days later that her daughter had been in the hospital, wasn't feeling well. They checked her, said she was fine. Sent her home an hour later, stopped breathing completely. Ambulance picking her up like that close to death. And when she texts that, she was outside ICU. I rocked into work a couple of days later and nobody in the whole place knew about that situation. Even though there were a lot of people there that knew her better than I did. Hang on. Hmm. Who did she know would pray? How did she know? Because when we talked earlier and she wasn't well, I said, oh, I'll pray for you tonight. And now she's coming closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And we have God conversations now. Sometimes it takes time. But every day is a chance to love someone like you would want to be loved. Every day is a chance to share Jesus. And you don't have to have a qualification to do that. You just need to know Jesus. So I want to encourage you to live out the vision of who we are as a church. Stand up and say, you know what? I'm not going to be religious. Because you can be with the Pharisees going, oh, it's all comfortable over here and that's where the nasty people are. Or you can step out of your comfort zone and say, who can I share Jesus with today? It should be your first thought as a Christian when you wake up. Good morning, Jesus. Where are we going to share you today? And then he'll tell you and you'll freak out. But that's all right. Then you go and do it. But sharing Jesus doesn't mean you have to go and Bible bash someone or corner them up and, you know, do you know Jesus? What would happen if you stepped out the door and fell on a bus? Let's go out there now and hang him out in front of a bus, you know. Take Jesus, take Jesus. The bus is coming. Quick, 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 you know. It's that new form of street evangelism. Time up, lay him on the street in front of a bus. <laughs> you don't have to be like that. I mean, some people are wired up that they're very in the face and confrontational, and that's cool for them. It works for them. But I find most people aren't. For most people, it is that gentle journey of just saying, hey, you know what? I'll pray for you. And day by day, change somebody's life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that every person out there that doesn't know you is a potential Christian. That every person out there that we know is someone that you love and died for. And I pray, Lord, that you will just burn in us by your Holy Spirit an awareness of those who are lost, a love for you that is worked through us and a love for people around us that we may share Jesus. Father, the gift of your Son is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Help us to share him. That this world may know you. We bless you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.